welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to Pamela Topgian about her memoir, I Didn't Come This Far, To Only Come This Far. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about her incredible journey of overcoming neglect, abuse, and trauma. How therapy helped her through all of these things so she could build the life she really wanted. I didn't come this far to only come this far. A true story of my own journey through a life of betrayal, abuse, and neglect. To one of peace, love, and freedom. A true story in her own words, five years in the making. Pamela walks down memory lane. An account of her life as a woman born in America in the 60s. Pamela talks openly and candidly about a life full of neglect, betrayal, abuse, grief, and loss. One traumatic event after another. Until a total breakdown after being left unconscious on the floor after an attack by her addict husband is a catalyst to an awakening and finally realizing true love, peace, and freedom in her 50s. Trigger warnings, poverty, neglect, rape, sexual assault, and physical abuse. A note from the author. I was going to stop writing when my life settled down, but it's clear that isn't happening anytime soon. I didn't come this far to only come this far. I keep going, keep reaching my goals and dreams. My hope is to show you that no matter what you go through, that you can do more than survive and just exist. There's nothing special or different about me. Much of what I went through is all too common. I wrote this for my own therapy to not have gone to the grave without telling my story, to bring hope and inspiration to others. Thank you, dear reader, for your interest and support. Pamela Topgian. Okay, so the podcast is Freya's Fairy Tales. And the the fairy tales are twofold. So there's, you know, things that we enjoyed as kids, either reading or our parents reading to us or movies that we watched or just some kind mm -hmm. of, it doesn't have to be a fairy tale. It could be another short story. Yeah. Um, but then it's also something that once you've put in all the time and the effort and you know, time, hours, weeks, months, years, whatever, yeah. of writing your own book, that's also a fairy tale for you wow, to yeah. hold that physical copy in your hand once you get it. So, um, so I like to start at the beginning. So when you mm -hmm. were a kid, um, what was your favorite fairy tale when you were a kid? And did that change as you got older? Yeah. So um, when you first had asked me that before, because mm -hmm. I, I don't really have one that I would think, oh, that was my favorite, you know, nothing that I thought of. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you said that, I thought of like Jack and the Beanstalk, mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because I wouldn't have thought that before. But we, you know, part of my book, it's a memoir, you know, so um, we grew up in poverty in that. And I think that that might be Jack and the Beanstalk always kind of struck me because mm -hmm. it was a poor family and they just took these beans and 
you know, and just like the magic of anything could happen, anything's mm-hmm. possible. And, you know, that just because he was in this poor situation with his family, there was still, you know, hope or there was still magic, you know, in the world mm-hmm. ahead of him. So that kind of intrigues me, you know. Um, also, you know, I think a lot of a lot of women, their favorite sort of, I don't know if it's a considered a fairy tale, but um, the secret garden, you know, mm-hmm. just love that. <laughs> and I think too, that's part of the whole idea of magic and, and these kids have their own little space of, mm-hmm. you know, of magic where things grow and there's hope and, and mm-hmm. dreams come true, you know? Right. So, so even saying that again too, so Wizard of Oz is another one. So I don't know if those are considered like fairy tales, but um, just love those and always have, you know? Yeah. You know, I haven't, and, I did look at the definition of fairy tale for the podcast but it doesn't like I don't know if there's some like oh it has to be like a short story for it to count as a fairy tale yeah Um, because like uh for one of the other authors had said Beauty and the Beast well the original Beauty and the Beast was 200 pages long so I wouldn't (laughs) consider that a short story no no (laughs) but then you know as they rewrote it and modified it for it to be more kid-friendly it got to where it's a much shorter story Right. Um, yeah, Jack and the Beanstalk is definitely, um, it, it probably resonated a little bit with you. Yeah. With, with that background. Um, yeah. And it's funny because I, because I wouldn't have thought of that. Like if I was to put a lot of thought into but that's like the first thing that came to mind. And so mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I better, I just, I should just go with that because, you know, it's <laughs> the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. So, yeah. And it does I, make sense. So then growing up, at what age? Um, did you think I want to write a book or did you write a lot in school or was it kind of after school that started? You know, um, my parents both read a lot, so I was lucky with that. Um, I wrote little books, like I would have little, like four pieces of paper and I would fold them and I would just write stupid little books, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, you know, just just like, uh, you know, the kids on the block and my friends or my sisters would be in the little stories about, uh, you know, one I had, my sister's favorite animal was an elephant. And so I like had one where she had an elephant and they, we wouldn't let her keep it just, you know, and, (laughs) and I was like, you know, probably seven, eight years old when I wrote Mm -hmm. that. Um, so I did always kind of like, like the idea of writing a book, but it wasn't really a goal of mine. It wasn't something Mm -hmm. I thought of. I did do it, but it wasn't something I thought of. Um, I only wrote my book because at first I didn't know if I was going to publish or not. It was really as kind of a therapy Mm -hmm. to get my story out of me, you know, to get it down and out of me, down like on paper and out of me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's so much trauma and tragedy in my story that, and I was, as I was in therapy, I was, that was also part of my therapy. It wasn't suggested by the therapist, but I felt like that would be helpful. Mm -hmm. And it helped me to remember things that kind of were lost just by writing it all out, going in a, you know, in the timeline of my life. And um, it wasn't until, you know, it took five years to write and it wasn't until near the end, um, you know, that I started reading other like autobiographies mm-hmm. and um, memoirs and that and thinking and how inspired I was by theirs. Right. And I thought I have a real story here and nothing that is very extreme, you know, on either end. Like it's not like a total rags to riches, you know, story, right. but a lot of things that a lot of 
what people go through and have been through. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people get stuck in those areas and they never really make it out, you know? Right. And so I felt like my story was something that people could relate to and be inspired by rather than somebody that's gone, you know, to off to do amazingly wonderful things, you know, (laughs) from real horrific things. Um, Mine is somewhere in between there. It's more Mm -hmm. relatable. So, um, so yeah, I just, that's when I kind of thought, you know, I have a story here too, that, you know, might inspire others from ones that I was reading as well. Mm -hmm. Now, I will tell you on the narration side, those are the only contracts I've had cancel on me so far is ones that it was autobiographies and like the way that they, um, you know, you do it. So the way that narration works, you audition for it, which is typically Mm -hmm. like two to five minutes of the book. Mm -hmm. And then once you've done that, if they pick you, then you get a contract Mm -hmm. and then you have to send like a 15 minute sample of, you know, more of the book. Right. And so like they would approve all of those. But then like once they heard, well, one of them didn't approve the first 15. She was Mm -hmm. um, a little, I wouldn't say nitpicky is not the right word she was just very very it was her story and she wanted it told a certain way which Mm -hmm. you're not going to find another person able to tell your story like you will be able to tell your story yeah and that's the thing like I would love to do my own mm -hmm. first you know right right and so that's I mean at the the end of that I mean it was one of those like technically we're not allowed to cancel kind of things but I was like Mm. listen if the author wants to you know find someone else I'm totally okay with that like (laughs) she she has a very beautiful story and you know I want her to be happy with the end product I I had I had two that it was the same exact kind of situation where it was Mm. like clearly I just wasn't I I wasn't you (laughs) yeah yeah I can't imagine that must be hard. And I've thought about that too, because like I said, I do want my, I would like my book on audio, Mm -hmm. but I've thought, you know, doing it myself because I can't imagine hearing somebody else reading my book. Yeah. I imagine it would be weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't imagine that. So yeah, that's, that's that's understandable. It's a little bit different to being an autobiography versus most of what I do is fiction at this point Mm -hmm. in time. And so like fiction authors are totally different because they're like, I don't know how to make all the voices for all the characters. And they probably love hearing the story come to life. I can just imagine because you have a great voice for that. And I, and I've listened, listened to some of yours and, and that's awesome. And I'm, I'm sure that they just love it, but yeah, it's a, totally different thing with an autobiography or a memoir. Totally. Yeah. So why don't you, you're my first nonfiction to interview. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, I guess, your story and then you know, go okay. into, I know you said it, you used writing the book as therapy, but mm-hmm. why you ultimately decided to do that leading into, well, you, you kind of already covered why you decided to publish it, but yeah. um, kind of what, you know, your, I guess, backstory a little bit into, yeah, you know, eventually writing this book. Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to get too graphic because this isn't right. that kind of podcast. I mean, <laughs> but... I have an explicit warning on it, but that only covers so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just really a story of my journey through a life of betrayal and abuse and neglect. And then where I've come through, you know, I had a complete break down after an abusive marriage and I was you know like down for the count really you know Mm -hmm. 
for a good year, maybe two years where I was getting therapy. I could barely take care of myself. And that's, and that was, you know, my late forties, early fifties. And I know a lot of people, um, you know, especially once you're middle-aged or a little bit older, if you've just been so dragged down by your life mm-hmm. and a lot of people just stay there, you know, right. they just stay there and they're hopeless. Um, and they either, they, whether they seek therapy or not, they've sort of given up and just kind of mm-hmm. waiting. And, um, so for some amazing, <laughs> you know, to me, it's still amazing that I was able to come out of that to now I'm everything that I do. I love, mm-hmm. there's nothing that I do in my life. That isn't something I've chosen that just feeds my soul. Mm-hmm. So I've come out of that to, but like live a dream life, you know, my, my personal dream life. And I just want others to know that they can do that no matter what they've been through, because I've had, you know, this goes back from like nine years old. Um, I've had things happen where, you know, we, we moved a lot because of my father not being in my life. And um, after they divorced, we had, you know, we were in, uh, you know, poor neighborhoods to where there was stabbings in the hallway and mm. blood left in the hallway drying for months you know and my sister was killed in a car accident I had um, sexual assaults as a teen and I became a teen mother and like I said abusive marriage and just you know one thing after the other mm-hmm. and the thing with the with my book is like I tell people even in the beginning and I know a lot of people don't read like the foreword and the introduction but right. I tell people you know, it's, it is sad. It's like, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened, but it does get better. You know, right. <laughs> stick it out. It gets better. You know, you'll be cheering me on at near the end, but the first, you know, the first half at least is kind of sad, you know, but, but it's showing you all this stuff that you go through that I, mm-hmm. that I had went through and then, you know, a total breakdown and then making it back, you know, to where like, I love my life now and I'm in my mid fifties. So, yeah. So what was the question? <laughs> so so, me through so the book and <laughs> I mean, you keep saying total breakdown. So I'm guessing you yes. don't want to go, you know, touch on what exactly that is. But what after that, what was the I mean, and if you want to talk about that, that's fine. <laughs> um, but after that, what was the first big decision that you made that was something that you chose for you? Yeah, well, the total breakdown is really so this was my my first marriage was um, emotionally and verbally abusive. The second marriage was physically abusive as well. And um, he was drug addict, alcoholic. And the last thing he had, one of the thing that made me walk out was I was beat up and left in the closet unconscious. And I needed the police to get me out safely. Mm-hmm. And that it was after that, that when I got my own place, I thought, yay, I'm free. Everything's going to be great. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like here I am on my own now. Yay. Finally. But I I just PTSD just set in. It wasn't quite like those magic beans. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So, so I really got to a place of, you know, total depression, suicidal, highly anxious, you know, um, very fearful night terrors. So when I say total breakdown, that's what that is. And it wasn't until therapy that I realized it was PTSD and not just from that incident in the closet, Mm -hmm. but it was from my whole childhood leading up to that. Things that just hadn't been dealt with. 
Right, right. And so, and it was in therapy that I realized there was a moment when I was in therapy that I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Because I was taking jobs that was taking care of house sitting, pet sitting, kinds of things like that, that Mm -hmm. I didn't have to pay rent or go to work or deal with people really like on like the public or anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, so then I was going to therapy while I was doing that. And I didn't know if I would ever be a fully functional adult again. You know, Mm -hmm. I felt really scared that I wouldn't be able to live just, you know, a normal life, you know, just even survive, let alone, you know, thrive, you know, and Mm -hmm. love my life. But there was a moment in therapy that I was like, I'm going to be okay. I can see a light, you know, at the end of the tunnel, I could finally see it. And I learned in therapy about, you know, all the things in my childhood that led up to where I was at this point, or Mm -hmm. at that point, and being able to connect those dots and being able to really see the whole thing for what it was, was really enlightening. And that helped me feel like I had control rather than all the stuff happening to me, but to Mm -hmm. feel like, now I understand where it came from. And now let's work through some of those things, right. you know, I mean, and it took another long, year. <laughs> how long into therapy did you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, that was probably, I'm going to say just three or four sessions in. Okay. And I was going twice a week at first. So, okay. so like two weeks probably, in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good that it was that quick. Yeah. That you, you know, kind of were able to see I can get better. So at what point did you decide to go into therapy? Well, um, it was really, you know, I would, like I said, I was suicidal. Mm -hmm. I had lost a sister, you know, when I was a teen. Um, and I didn't want to do that to my mother. You know, most people don't, most people think of their children Mm -hmm. when they're suicidal and they think I can't do this to my children. Right. But my kids were already adults. And I really felt like I was a burden to them anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, that their mom was crazy and not able to take care of herself and whatever else. And, um, and so I didn't worry about my kids. I thought they'd be better off without me. And like I said, they were already adults living on their own anyway. Right. But I was worried, more worried about my mother and I didn't want to do that to her. She had already lost one child. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a point of, I can't stand this life like this you know, just mm-hmm. not doing anything, just being in this dark space, you know, um, in my head, you know, and being depressed and the nightmares were still coming and, um, you know, just barely, barely living. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make some sort of change. And I actually went to the doctor before I even thought of therapy. And the doctor is the one who set up therapy. I was, I was a nurse for 14 years and I recently switched careers. But at that time, I wasn't working as a nurse, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when I went to the doctor, I was thinking meds. I was thinking I need depression right. medication or anxiety medication. That's what I was thinking. And I did have some for a little while, but they also put me in therapy. And mm-hmm. it, and I didn't even think of therapy because <laughs> I thought, <laughs> what am I going to go to therapy for? <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I'm, is crazy. I'm doing okay. Now. I'm out of the house. <laughs> Well, I, what I really thought was, what am I going to tell them? You know, right. what, what is my purpose? Why am I here? I don't know. You know, I was beat up a year ago and now I can't handle it, you know, because that's what I thought at the time. <laughs> I thought, 
how did this one thing happen? And now I just can't do anything, you know? Yeah. At that time, I didn't realize it was the whole life leading up to that, you know? So how did you go from being in therapy to now doing the therapy? Yeah. um, Oh my gosh. So like I said, I had been a licensed nurse. And so I eventually, after a year of therapy, I went back to nursing just so I can sort of be more on my own, make my Mm -hmm. own money, be more independent. Um, I was feeling much better mentally and everything. And it was even, even before all of that happened, I was more interested in more holistic therapies, Uh more, um, you know, the, the nursing field wasn't what it was really cracked up to be for me. You know, Uh it didn't feel like we were really helping our patients. We didn't have the resources we needed in so many ways. And you always left feeling like you could have, or you should have been able to do better for your patients, Uh or that's how I felt anyway. And uh, that you would just had your hands tied in so many ways. Right. And so I had looked into a healing arts school and got a little bit of an intro in a lot of different um, holistic modalities. And then there was hypnotherapy I was introduced to. And so I went down that road and Uh I took the level one and level two. But because of the husband that I had at the time, I had to continue nursing because I had to take care of the bills and everything. I wasn't Mm -hmm. able to make that switch over. And um, so I was already had this in my mind in the back of my head that I loved hypnotherapy, that it was just a dream of mine. I thought I had lost it. I thought it was, you know, gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was getting really fed up with nursing. I was doing this again. I was finding myself feeling the same way. And then I saw like on Facebook, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like Sacramento hypnotherapy mm-hmm. and because uh, I had moved from the Midwest to California okay. um, during that time that I was down. And that was like a last ditch effort, you know, like I'm going to move far away and everything will be great, <laughs> you know, because um, I kind of thought my fear was of the ex-husband finding me or something, you know, so I moved across yeah. the country. I feel like that's probably pretty <laughs> a, a popular issue for people though is thinking that yeah yeah so you move across the country (laughs) yeah and I'm fed up with nursing again or still Mm -hmm. um but I'm doing well you know independent uh you know taking care of myself pretty Mm -hmm. much and um and so then I see just on Facebook I that a year ago you know those memories come up that Mm -hmm. I saw sacramental hypnotherapy And I said, I wish, I wish, I wish. And I posted their page. And Mm -hmm. then that came up in my memories. And I was like, maybe that's what I should do. Maybe that's, you know, what I should go back to. Mm -hmm. And it just was a whirlwind from there, you know. So then I went back for for classes. I got certified and it just took off. And then the pandemic happened. So I was able to do everything by Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, It was a good thing, though. It was a good thing because now I have clients all over the place. I always have to ask, you know, where's like we discussed, you know, I always have to ask, you know, what time zone are you in? Right. You know, if they don't tell me uh, in the initial um, um, contact. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it was, so now I have clients anywhere and everywhere because of the um, pandemic. So I didn't have to worry about just sticking to this one little area mm-hmm. and I love it. <laughs> so now you get to work from home. Yeah. And you get to, so when you, um, I know we're, we've gotten away from your book, but when you're, um, <laughs> well, my I, life is my book. <laughs> yeah. so, so I assume, you know, you have 
have you helped anyone through the same kind of situation that you had been through? Yeah, that those are my those are my people. Those are my clients. Those are the ones that I reach out to. People that are kind of middle-aged or even older that feel stuck in life that they don't know, you know, either they've been through a lot of therapy and just don't find it's helping them mm-hmm. or um they have they've just, you know, sort of given up and they're in this stuck space of either feeling that they're in a rut, feeling that they're on the verge of a breakdown. So these are the people that I help mostly. Yeah. So when I have okay. somebody come to me for something else, it's kind of like, I, I kind of give a second thought to, should I refer them out? Cause of course I know other, other ones, therapists, yeah. but, um, but you know, I'll try to, you know, I'll do what I can with them, but that's, yeah, that's my main focus is people okay. that are feeling the way I did, you know, and, and uh, yeah, just, I feel like, you know, they know that I've been through it because a lot of my um, marketing is, you know, things that I've been through this and, you know, just sharing my story out, out there you mm-hmm. know? Um, and look, it's possible. You can make it out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so have you had someone find come to you as a patient because they found your book? I have not. No, um, but I just published it in January. Okay. So yeah. Time will tell. <laughs> yeah. Time will tell. I've had people that, you know, they're not on social media and that's pretty much where, I mean, I have a website, but mm-hmm. I only really, because of the pandemic too, I think it is that I really only advertise on social media for my mm-hmm. business, but um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, when somebody comes to me that it's not from social media, you know, where did you find me? You know, right. oh, I saw your book, you know, because <laughs> of course I have the information at the end of it. Right, know? right. In fact, I've done, I've narrated a couple of um, books that at the end they wanted me to read the here's how to, you know, get in contact with us kind of <laughs> yeah. thing, which is, yeah. I mean, I'll do when I'm narrating a book, I'll do whatever they want me to do, but I've had a mm-hmm. uh, like I had a, a, I did a horse book and she wanted me to read like all, or actually she kept telling me you can leave all the links at the end off, but I'm like, you gave all this great information and the links mm. are more great information. Why would I leave all that off? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know about that. Like if, if that's kind of a, you know, it, it would seem like it's just sort of advertising. It's like, do you put the ad like in your narration, <laughs> you know, but, but if it's part of the person, what the story is about, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, right. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's a wide range of things that people ask you <laughs> to put oh, in. Gosh. So. <laughs> Pamela's favorite fairy tales are ones that include triumph over difficult situations. Jack and the Beanstalk is an English fairy tale. It appeared as The Story of Jack Spriggins and the Enchanted Bean in 1734 and as Benjamin Tabert's moralized The History of Jack and the Beanstalk in 1807. Henry Cole, publishing under the pen name Felix Summerlee, popularized the tale in the home treasury 1845, and Joseph Jacobs rewrote it in English Fairy Tales 1890. Jacob's version is most commonly reprinted today and is believed to be closer to the oral versions than Tabert's because it lacks the moralizing. Jack and the Beanstalk is the best known of the Jack's Tales, a series of stories featuring the archetypal Cornish and English hero and stock character Jack. According to researchers at Durham University and Universidad Nova de Lisboa, the story originated more than five millennia ago. 
based on a widespread archaic story form which is now classified by folklorists as ATU-328, The Boy Who Stole Ogre's Treasure. Today we'll be reading Jack and the Beanstalk by Joseph Jacobs. Don't forget, we are also continuing the original story of Beauty and the Beast on our Patreon. Jack and the Beanstalk, an old English fairy tale. A long, long time ago, when most of the world was young and folk did what they liked because all things were good, there lived a boy called Jack. His father was bedridden, and his mother, a good soul, was busy early morns and late eves planning and placing how to support her sick husband and her young son by selling the milk and butter which Milky White, the beautiful cow, gave them without stint, for it was summertime, but winter came on. The herbs of the fields took refuge from the frosts in the warm earth, and though his mother sent Jack to gather what fodder he could get in the hedgerows, he came back as often as not with a very empty sack. For Jack's eyes were so often full of wonder at all the things he saw that sometimes he forgot to work. So it came to pass that one morning Milk White gave no milk at all, not one drain. Then the good hard-working mother threw her apron over her head and sobbed. What shall we do? What shall we do? Now Jack loved his mother. Besides, he felt just a bit sneaky at being such a big boy and doing so little to help. So he said, Cheer up! Cheer up! I'll go and get work somewhere! And he felt as he spoke as if he would work his fingers to the bone, but the good woman shook her head mournfully. You've tried that before, Jack, she said, and nobody would keep you. You are quite a good lad, but your wits go a wool gathering. No, we must sell Milky White and live on the money. It is no use crying over milk that is not here to spill. You see, she was a wise as well as a hard-working woman, and Jack's spirits rose. Just so, he cried, we will sell Milky White and be richer than ever. It's an ill wind that blows no one good. So as it is market day, I'll just take her there and we shall see what we shall see. But, began his mother... But doesn't butter parsnips, laughed Jack. Trust me to make a good bargain. So as it was washing day and her sick husband was more ailing than usual, his mother let Jack set off to sell the cow. Not less than ten pounds, she bawled after him as he turned the corner. Ten pounds indeed. Jack had made up his mind to twenty. Twenty solid golden sovereigns. He was just settling what he should buy his mother as a faring out of the money when he saw a queer little old man on the road who called out, Good morning, Jack. Good morning, replied Jack with a polite bow, wondering how the queer little old man happened to know his name, though to be sure, Jack's were as plentiful as blackberries. And where may you be going? asked the queer little old man. Jack wondered again, he was always wondering, you know, what the queer little old man had to do with it. But being always polite, he replied, I am going to market to sell Milky White, and I mean to make a good bargain. So you will. So you will, chuckled the queer little old man. You look the sort of chap for it. I bet you know how many beans make five. Two in each hand and one in my mouth, answered Jack readily. He really was as sharp as a needle. Just so, just so, chuckled the queer little old man, and as he spoke, he drew out of his pocket five beans. Well, here they are, so give us Milky White. Jack was so flabbergasted that he stood with his mouth open as if he expected the fifth bean to fly into it. What? 
he said at last. My milky white for five common beans? Not if I know it. But they aren't common beans, put in the queer little old man, and there was a queer little smile on his queer little face. If you plant these beans overnight, by morning they will have grown up right into the very sky. Jack was too flabbergasted this time even to open his mouth. His eyes opened instead. Did you say right into the very sky? He asked at last, for, see you, Jack had wondered more about the sky than about anything else. Right up into the very sky, repeated the queer old man with a nod between each word. It's a good bargain, Jack, and as fair plays a jewel if they don't. Why, meet me here tomorrow morning and you shall have Milky White back again. Will that please you? Right as a trivet cried Jack without stopping to think, and the next moment he found himself standing on an empty road. Two in each hand and one in my mouth, repeated Jack. That is what I said and what I'll do. Everything in order, and if what the queer little old man said isn't true, I shall get Milky White back tomorrow morning. So whistling and munching the bean, he trudged home cheerfully, wondering what the sky would be like if he ever got there. What a long time you've been! exclaimed his mother, who was watching anxiously for him at the gate. It is past sunsetting, but I see you have sold Milky White. Tell me quick how much you got for her. You'll never guess, began Jack. Laws a mercy, you don't say so, interrupted the good woman, and I worriting all day lest they should take you in. What was it? Ten pounds? Fifteen? Sure, it can't be twenty. Jack held out the beans triumphantly. There he said. That's what I got for her, and a jolly good bargain, too. It was his mother's turn to be flabbergasted, but all she said was, What? Them beans? Yes, replied Jack, beginning to doubt his own wisdom. But they're magic beans. If you plant them overnight, by morning they grow right up into the sky. Oh, please don't hit so hard. Jack's mother for once had lost her temper and was belaboring the boy for all she was worth. And when she had finished scolding and beating, she flung the miserable beans out of the window and sent him supperless to bed. If this was the magical effect of the beans, thought Jack ruefully, he didn't want any more magic if you please. However, being healthy and, as a rule, happy, he soon fell asleep and slept like a top. When he woke, he thought at first it was moonlight, for everything in the room showed greenish. Then he stared at the little window. It was covered as if with a curtain by leaves. He was out of bed in a trice. And the next moment, without waiting to dress, was climbing up the biggest beanstalk you ever saw. For what the queer little old man had said was true. One of the beans which his mother had chucked into the garden had found soil, taken root, and grown into the night. Where? Up to the very sky? Jack meant to see at any rate. So he climbed... And he climbed, and he climbed. It was easy work, for the big beanstalk with the leaves growing out of each side was like a ladder. For all that, he was soon out of breath. Then he got his second wind and was just beginning to wonder if he had a third when he saw in front of him a wide, shining white road stretching away and away and away. So he took to walking, and he walked and walked and walked till he came to a tall, shining white house with a wide white doorstep. And on the doorstep stood a great big woman with a black porridge pot in her hand. Now Jack, having had no supper, was hungry as a hunter, and when he saw the porridge pot, he said quite politely, Good morning. I wonder if you could give me some breakfast. 
Breakfast? echoed the woman, who in truth was an ogre's wife. If it is breakfast you're wanting, it's breakfast you'll likely be, for I expect my man home every instant, and there is nothing he likes better for breakfast than a boy, a fat boy grilled on toast. Now Jack was not a bit of a coward, and when he wanted a thing, he generally got it, so he said cheerful-like, I'd be fatter if I had my breakfast. Whereat the ogre's wife laughed and bade Jack come in, for she was not really half as bad as she looked. But he had hardly finished the great bowl of porridge and milk she gave him when the whole house began to tremble and quake. It was the ogre coming home. Be-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Thump. 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 Into the oven with you, sharp cried the ogre's wife, and the iron oven door was just closed when the ogre strode in. Jack could see him through the little peephole slide at the top where the steam came out. He was a big one for sure. He had three sheep strung to his belt, and these he threw down on the table. Your wife, he cried, roast me these snippets for breakfast. They are all I've been able to get this morning, worse luck. I hope the oven's hot and he went to touch the handle, while Jack burst out all of a sweat wondering what would happen next. Roast, echoed the ogre's wife. Pooh, the little things would dry to cinders. Better boil them. So she set to work to boil them, but the ogre began sniffing about the room. They don't smell. Mutton meat, he growled. Then he frowned horribly and began the real ogre's rhyme. Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of an English man. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. Don't be silly, said his wife. It's the bones of the little boy you had for supper that I'm boiling down for soup. Come eat your breakfast. There's a good ogre. So the ogre ate his three sheep, and when he had done, he went to a big oaken chest and took out three big bags of golden pieces. Easy put on the table and began to count their contents while his wife cleared away the breakfast things. And by and by, his head began to nod, and at last he began to snore and snored so loud that the whole house shook. Then Jack nipped out of the oven and, seizing one of the bags of gold, crept away and ran along the straight, wide, shining white road as fast as his legs would carry him till he came to the beanstalk. He couldn't climb down it with the bag of gold. It was so heavy, so he just flung his burden down first and helter-skelter climbed after it. And when he came to the bottom, there was his mother picking up gold pieces out of the garden as fast as she could. For, of course, the bag had burst. Laws of mercy, she says. Wherever have you been? See, it's been raining gold. No, it hasn't, began Jack. I climbed up. Then he turned to look for the beanstalk, but lo and behold, it wasn't there at all. So he knew. Then it was all real magic. After that, they lived happily on the gold pieces for a long time. And the bedridden father got all sorts of nice things to eat. But at last, a day came when Jack's mother showed a doleful face as she put a big yellow sovereign into Jack's hand and bade him be careful marketing, because there was not one more in the coffer. After that, they must starve. That night, Jack went supperless to bed of his own accord. If he couldn't make money, he thought, at any rate, he could eat less money. It was a shame for a big boy to stuff himself and bring no grist to the mill. He slept like a top, as boys do when they don't overeat themselves, and when he woke. Hey, presto, the whole room showed greenish, and there was a curtain of leaves over the window. 
Another bean had grown in the night, and Jack was up it like a lamplighter before you could say knife. This time he didn't take nearly so long climbing until he reached the straight, wide, white road, and in a trice he found himself before the tall, white house. For on the wide, white steps, the ochre's wife was standing with the black porridge pot in her hand, and this time Jack was as bold as brass. Good morning, he said. I've come to ask you for breakfast, for I had no supper and I'm as hungry as a hunter. Go away, bad boy, replied the ogre's wife. Last time I gave a boy breakfast, my man missed a whole bag of gold. I believe you are the same boy. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, said Jack with a laugh. I'll tell you true when I've had my breakfast, but not till then. So the ogre's wife, who was dreadfully curious, gave him a big bowl full of porridge. But before he had half finished it, he heard the ogre coming. Thump. Thump. Thump! In with you to the oven, shrieked the ogre's wife. You shall tell me when he has gone to sleep. This time Jack saw through the steam peephole that the ogre had three fat calves strung to his belt. Better luck today, wife, he cried, and his voice shook the house. Quick, roast these trifles for my breakfast. I hope the oven's hot. And he went to feel the handle of the door, but his wife cried out sharply. Roast? Why, you'd have to wait hours before they were done. I'll broil them. See how bright the fire is. Ugh, growled the ogre, and then he began sniffing and calling out. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. Twaddle, said the ogre's wife. It's only the bones of the boy you had last week that I've put into the pig bucket. Ugh said the ogre harshly, but he ate the broiled calves, and then he said to his wife, Bring me my hen that lays the magic eggs. I want to see gold. So the ogre's wife brought him a great big black hen with a shiny red comb. She plumped it down on the table and took away the breakfast things. Then the ogre said to the hen, Lay. And it promptly laid, What do you think? A beautiful, shiny, yellow golden egg. None so dusty, Henny Penny laughed the ogre. I shan't have to beg as long as I've got you. Then he said, Lay. Once more, and lo and behold, there was another beautiful shiny yellow golden egg. Jack could hardly believe his eyes and made up his mind that he would have that hen come what might. So when the ogre began to doze, he jut out like a flash from the oven, seized the hen and ran for his life. But you see, he reckoned without his prize. For hens, you know, always cackle when they leave their nests after laying an egg, and this one set up such a scrawling that it woke the ogre. Where's my hen? He shouted, and his wife came rushing in, and they both rushed to the door. But Jack had got the better of them by a good start, and all they could see was a little figure right away down the wide white road, holding a big, scrawling, cackling, fluttering black hen by the legs. How Jack got down the beanstalk he never knew. It was all wings and leaves and feathers and cacklings, but get down he did. And there was his mother, wondering if the sky was going to fall. But the very moment Jack touched ground, he called out, Lay! And the black hen ceased cackling and laid a great, big, shiny, yellow, golden egg. So everyone was satisfied. And from that moment, everybody had everything that money could buy. For whenever they wanted anything, they just said, Lay! And the black hen provided them with gold. But Jack began to wonder if he couldn't find something else besides money in the sky. 
So one fine, moonlight midsummer night, he refused his supper and before he went to bed, stole out to the garden with a big watering can and watered the ground under his window. For, thought he, there must be two more beans somewhere and perhaps it is too dry for them to grow. Then he slept like a top. And lo and behold, when he woke, there was the green light shimmering through his room and there he was in an instant on the beanstalk, climbing, climbing, climbing for all he was worth. But this time he knew better than to ask for his breakfast, for the ogre's wife would be sure to recognize him. So he just hid in some bushes beside the great white house till he saw her in the scullery and then he slipped out and hid himself in the copper, for he knew she would be sure to look in the oven first thing. And by and by he heard, thump, thump, thump. And peeping through a crack in the copper lid, he could see the ogre stalk in with three huge oxen strung at his belt. But this time, no sooner had the ogre got into the house than he began shouting, Fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. Or see you, the copper lid didn't fit tight like the oven door, and ogres have noses like a dog's for scent. Well, I declare, so do I, exclaimed the ogre's wife. It will be that horrid boy who stole the bag of gold in the hen. If so, he's hid in the oven. But when she opened the door, lo and behold, Jack wasn't there, only some joints of meat roasting and sizzling away. Then she laughed and said, You and me be fools for sure. Why, it's the boy you caught last night as I was getting ready for your breakfast. Yes, we'd be fools to take dead meat for live flesh, so eat your breakfast. There's a good ogre. But the ogre, though he enjoyed Roast Boy very much, wasn't satisfied, and every now and then would burst out with fee-fi-fo-fum and get up and search the cupboards, keeping Jack in a fever of fear lest he should think of the copper. But he didn't. And when he had finished his breakfast, he called out to his wife, Bring me my magic harp. I want to be amused. So she brought out a little harp and put it on the table. And the ogre leaned back in his chair and said lazily, Sing. And lo and behold, the harp began to sing. If you want to know what it sang about, why it sang about everything. And it sang so beautifully that Jack forgot to be frightened and the ogre forgot to think of fee-fi-fo-fum and fell asleep. And did not snore. Then Jack stole out of the copper like a mouse and crept hands and knees to the table, raised himself up ever so softly and laid hold of the magic harp, for he was determined to have it. But no sooner had he touched it than it cried out quite loud, Master! Master! So the ogre woke, saw Jack making off and rushed after him. My goodness, it was a race. Jack was nimble, but the ogre's stride was twice as long. So though Jack turned and twisted and doubled like a hare, yet at last when he got to the beanstalk, the ogre was not a dozen yards behind him. There wasn't time to think. So Jack just flung himself onto the stalk and began to go down as fast as he could while the harp kept calling, Master! Master! at the top of its voice. He had only got down about a quarter of the way when there was the most awful lurch you can think of and Jack nearly fell off the beanstalk. It was the ogre beginning to climb down and his weight made the stalk sway like a tree in a storm. Then Jack knew it was life or death, and he climbed down faster and faster, and as he climbed, he shouted, Mother, mother, bring an axe, bring an axe! 
But his mother, as luck would have it, was in the backyard chopping wood, and she ran out thinking that this time the sky must have fallen. Just at that moment, Jack touched ground and he flung down the harp, which immediately began to sing of all sorts of beautiful things. And he seized the axe and gave a great chop at the beanstalk, which shook and swayed and bent like barley before a breeze. Have a care, shouted the ogre, clinging on as hard as he could. But Jack did have a care, and he dealt that beanstalk such a shrewd blow that the whole of it, ogre and all, came toppling down. And of course, the ogre broke his crown so that he died on the spot. After that, everyone was quite happy, for they had gold and to spare, and if the bedridden father was dull, Jack just brought out the harp and said, sing, and lo and behold, it sang about everything under the sun. So Jack ceased wondering so much and became quite a useful person. And the last bean hasn't grown yet. It is still in the garden. I wonder if it will ever grow. And what little child will climb its beanstalk into the sky? And what will that child find? Goody me. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Pamela's journey to holding her own life story and now fairy tale in her hands and to hear another of her favorite stories.